All right. Well, we're here together, Mark and I, to uh, have a discussion about uh, a, a sensitive topic in Atlantic Canada. One of the things that we've always tried to avoid at Arrowhead is having political opinions or speaking politically. However, this is an apologetic podcast, and the purpose of it is to talk about things that are happening in culture, in society, that might be political, but not necessarily to give a political response, but to look at scripture so that we can walk away at the end of our discussion with the right idea about what God would have us as Christians think about those situations. Did you say the P word? Politics, I did. And okay. I mean, I'm scared. Are you scared? Don't be scared. We don't have to live in fear. Well, like we were saying before, there's two there's two different definitions. One is governing politics, and the other is politics between people, making right. policy. And at, at the end of the day, it's our hope, Mark and I, that we can help bring some clarity about what the Christian response should be to these situations. Because I think what I've seen... And before I sort of turn it over to Mark to explain the situation, but what I've seen in my experience is, is people pick sides and they do it emotionally and they often do it with a very small frame of reference. So they've, they've had a very little bit of information that's come from one source or another word of mouth or a particular media outlet. And then they have an emotional opinion about it. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that signifies and how we might do that better. But I'm going to let Mark talk about the situation. We've had a, a situation in Atlantic Canada that has to do with respect to fisheries. Yeah, and that all centers around, in my understanding, of the decision, um, the Donald Marshall decision that gives the courts granted the right for First Nations people to, to earn a moderate living by mm -hmm. fishing. That was a legal decision that was brought about in our country that's based on laws. But the implementation of that by the First Nations people, that stirred up a lot of feelings, like in between people. I would say that probably knowing one situation, that those feelings were already there. And this just was like a catalyst for that, right? And okay. it brought about conflicts, which really degraded in both cases that I know of the fisheries. The one at Burn Church and, and this one is that they, people took to violence as the answer to um, fixing this. Before we go further on that, the crisis at Burnt Church, that was in the 80s or 90s? That would have been in, the, um, I think okay. it was the 90s. And there, there is but, a documentary, I think, that you can watch on the National Film Board website that goes over that situation. Do you remember what it's called? I forget. Uh, not right off. off I think the, is it called "At my, War with the Crown"? Does that sound right? It could, but you could just Google "Burn Church," just um, Eskinuwobidich, that conflict, fisheries conflict, and you'd probably be able to get it. And with with that, we just thank God that there was nobody killed because it was quite quite dangerous the situation, right? right. And that really polarized both sides. And so this particular conflict we're talking about now this is years later right and right. another band is going to exercise their rights to fish have a moderate livelihood which some people would would even say well that word moderate why would you why would you limit somebody's um livelihood right mm -hmm. you wouldn't do that in a, in a capitalistic system 
So in this one, the same thing happened. And this, this time people were intimidated. There was assault. I believe there was a place burned to the ground. I think it was a fish plant. There and, was, and yeah. Then you see how the government acts. Both sides would probably be different on that side. The, those who were anti-fishermen, native fishermen would say, oh yeah, well, they applied the law equally and everything is good. And, you know, this is just a few hotheads and, and they're, they'll get over it kind of thing. Whereas the First Nations are looking at it and saying, well, were we really as Canadian citizens being protected? Because isn't this kind of like vigilante justice, mm-hmm. you know, burning somebody's house down, like, or you're burning their plant down. That's not negotiation or that's not showing of goodwill or even, you know, any dialogue. And I think you were talking about that earlier, uh, Grant, about where the church might come in. Mm-hmm. I, I guess for, from my perspective is that we might have a Christian fisherman who's listening from one side or the other. Uh, and, or we might have Christians listening who have been looking at that situation from afar and just wondering, how, how do I respond to this situation? And the passage of Scripture that came to my mind is Titus chapter 3. And so if it's all right with you, Mark, I'd like to read the whole chapter, and then we can maybe sort of unpack sure. it just a little bit together. Yeah. Titus chapter 3 says... Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. And I just feel like, this passage, the, the first part of it talks about how a Christian should think and feel about all other people. And then it highlights for us the fact that we're not somehow magnificently righteous yet. We're on that road to righteousness, but we were once foolish and disobedient and led astray and slaves to passions and hating others and quarreling malice and envy. And it's only because of the goodness and loving kindness of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in us that we have any capacity to do the things at the beginning of the chapter. So you're saying then our response should be different than the average Canadian. I think that we need to be careful as Christian people to temper our opinions and our ideas with Scripture and not with 
the broader culture or the influence of media. Because I think that when we do that, we, we step into a sinful area. When, when we start being governed by our passions and by uninformed anger or rage or opinion, that we can step away from that work that God has for us. And I, I think the opposite side of that coin is that when we uh, avoid quarreling and we are gentle and we show courtesy towards all people, I think we, we represent well the gospel, that work that's been done in us. So then from a chaplain point of view, then I would put it this way. I would say that if, if I'm a, a Christian, my presence there in the situation would speak much more, even if I said nothing. I didn't express my opinion one way or the other, but I just expressed my concern for both sides. That would be stronger than somebody who tried to fix this situation. Yeah, I, I don't think we have to pick a side. We're really only mandated to take, pick the side that the scriptures tell us, right? I find to be, it is justice because it's God's justice. And that passage you just read there, mm-hmm. it's not that this is our justice. Right. <laughs> our justice is more like vengeance, right? Right. And um, this, this is a, I'll read my couple of verses here now. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of god and i think that in our humanness we get that mixed up thinking that our wrath is actually justice Mm -hmm. to be truthful that's farthest from the truth because we are all sinful right our roots are not wonderful family roots even if they look like you know from the exterior Mm -hmm. Well, and the only good that comes out of us is born out of the Holy Spirit anyway, right? Any good that I'm able to do is because God has given me that capacity. It's, it, it reminds me of Micah 6.8, Mark, which I did read to you earlier. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And when we pair that with the verse you just read, Doing justice and the pursuit of justice really is the pursuit of God and the pursuit of righteousness. And, you know, the key to, that I find is that we're all human, right? We're all human beings. Mm-hmm. It's not one group that's really superior to another. That, that does not exist as far as God's point of view. Mm-hmm. We're made in the image of God. Right. And our tendency is to put someone else down and to oppress them. And that happens not just here, but many, many places and many, many situations and even personal relationships, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's a big issue. And we could get caught up in the fact of thinking that, oh, well, I'm on the right side. I'm on the righteous side. But right. are you acting for justice? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that costs something. Right. And I think that's where we see Jesus, actually. He paid a tremendous price, not just like we could say as Christians, he went to the cross to pay for our sins, but he also he suffered social shame because of the people he associated with. Mm-hmm. He associated with the very bottom of the society, and the other rabbis didn't like that about him. Right. They even accused him because he was there. Mm-hmm. He was a part of their gang. He was part of their party going on. Mm-hmm. 
And so that was a price that he paid before the cross as well, because he identified with people of low degree, or I guess that's, I'm using scriptural language there, but people that who are just considered by others to be less than. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I even think about when he spoke to the woman at the well. I mean, she was a Samaritan woman. She had a different faith system than the Jews did. He was a, a man and she was a woman. And so he would socially have never had a reason to talk to her for that purpose as well, no. let alone the fact she was from Samaria. But he spoke to her yeah. and he shared the gospel with her and he taught her about the truth and presented her with her sin. And he, he didn't do that with any concern to his social standing, right? It says that despising the shame, he endured the cross. And he spent his entire mm -hmm. life despising the shame. And that's yeah. a good example to us, I think. Yeah, so to, uh, to identify with one side or the other, I don't think God necessarily calls us to do that. He calls us to identify with those that are suffering injustice, like those that are vulnerable. And we're also at the same time called to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, which is letting him live his life in us, right? Right. So these are really high ideals that the scripture gives us. But I think, Mark, we need to be encouraging one another to be unspotted by the world. I, I, I think that's really one of the main functions of even this podcast is to help people recognize that we are spotted by the world in its philosophies and its ideals when we take all of our opinions just from media and not from scripture. The word that comes to my mind is reductionism, where we take a complex situation like this treaty that was made in 1700s mm -hmm. that was firmed by the court recently, and here we are. We don't know much about that if we don't go get right into the nitty-gritty of what happened as much as we know, right? So right. we tend to reduce it to a simple argument. Well, they should just obey the law. It says the season says this, and, and the other side would, should say, would say, well, we have the right. Mm -hmm. And you do by the law. At the same time, it goes so much better if we can have understanding before it gets going down so fast, falls into the violence aspect of it. There's some kind of understanding. But that's, I think, where we have to work too, is like, how do we have enough of a dialogue with First Nations people to understand some of these issues that they're living with every day? Mm -hmm. Whereas the average person in Canada, they see it from a distance that doesn't really affect them on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So those two, they're always, yeah, there's so many things that come into play in the scripture you read. Yes. Oh, yeah. We're meant to be peacemakers, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus said that, that we were to be blessed are the peacemakers. Well, and I, I think if we're truly pursuing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly, then we're applying, even if we just took this one chapter from Titus, I mean, there's so much in the New Testament that calls us to this kind of behavior, but if we just compare it to this one chapter, the application of the pursuit of justice, the love of mercy, and the walking of humility is obedience and good works and speaking well of others and avoiding quarreling and being gentle and showing courtesy to, to all people. And, and I think if we're, if we're tempering our opinions with that kind of a pursuit of justice, then we're going to be able to have relationships with 
with other people. If we really want to know what is going on in that fisheries dis- dispute, then then I think we need to build a friendship with a First Nations person and ask them. That's that's a real key too, and it uh, the Burn Church situation, which was a fisheries crisis. Yes. What came out? We're actually there were some good stories came out of that one. One story that I heard is this young man who had no, really didn't have a father growing up. And so he had nobody really to show him how to fish, but he he was taken in by this non-native fisherman who just showed him the ropes, how to do it, took him in as like, almost like a son. And they they formed this relationship together. It was a strong relationship that, that happened out of that, out yes. of the conflict. Yeah. And another one was just a simple thing that I saw happen because I used to live in the area is that the, the people that were living outside of the reservation or the reserve, they started to notify the First Nations when they had an activity, invite them to come. Mm-hmm. That maybe had slipped by the wayside, a small thing maybe, but that, caused, that showed a lot of respect when they were invited to these functions. Right. And we... We sometimes, even as Christians, we, we do that, right? We say, well, I'm a Christian, so I just stick with my gang, and I just stick with my people. I don't bother with the people outside of, you know, the well, non-Christians. I mean, isn't that ultimately come back to the reductionism you were talking about, boiling it down? Like, I, I, This is a whole topic for another episode, probably, but I feel like evangelism is reductionistic in most cases these days. That we have we have reduced the idea of sharing the gospel to a couple of very particular acts: the act of giving out a tract, or the act of cornering someone and and unloading the message on them. That re- yeah, I think that reduces our work to a generally unrelational situation, whereby if as Christians our intent is to be evangelistic in our lives we're going to spend five years building an authentic relationship with someone and love them, speak well mm-hmm. of them. And yeah. see them. I'll tell you this, and I believe this from the bottom of my heart. We are to live the gospel. We're not just, yes, we proclaim the gospel, but how do we proclaim the gospel? Mm-hmm. I believe we do it with how we, we live, right? Well, I think this and, chapter and I, of Titus has just said that very thing, right? Exactly. And it's not just Titus, it's throughout the scriptures, as God's people, we realize that we fall short. Mm-hmm. And we're just like any other people. Israel fell short. People in the Bible fell short. We fall short. And if we could only just grab a hold of that, then we can kind of maybe that'll help lead us to a, a humility that will lead us to repentance. One verse says is that judgment starts at the house of God. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the exact reference, but judgment starts at the house of God. We are to look at ourselves before we start looking at the world because what we do in our churches and with one another in our relationships reflects where we really are with God, Mm -hmm. a real relationship with God. And what we say, well, yeah, we can say it, and people respond to God's word, which which is what we should do. But... I also believe we should be, like you said, building relationships, not for the sake of just winning somebody, but for the sake of how much God loves that person and how much God has invested it to get that person to enter a relationship with him. 
Right. And not just so you can say, I've got a ticket to heaven, but because it's going to be like, that person's going to go and live the same thing that you're living. So we haven't told people how they're supposed to think about that situation. We certainly haven't solved the dispute, but I think we have talked about how people should start to think about how they think about the situation. Yeah, and it's just, I think we should just really take this point of view that we're going to seek to show whoever we're in contact with the gospel. We're going to live the gospel. We could we could recommend somebody do this or somebody do that, but it's actually, I think, that God could show them. And we're inviting also pastors to get involved in this and helping people mm-hmm. to equipped to do that as well. We, we may not be able to to bring justice in the face of injustice, but we are commanded to bring love in the face of injustice. And that love is accompanied by the message of the gospel, of course. But, but even though we may not be able to solve an injustice, we can, we can do our obedient part and, and bring that love and kindness and courtesy toward all people. And that's a thing that we should do collectively. And it shouldn't be just, just you and I, we're doing our little thing here it's actually should be as the body of christ we should this should be i believe this should be our goal Mm, absolutely well i hope that this has been helpful for folks and uh, mark and i are going to try and do uh, some more recordings of this nature in the coming months and hopefully there'll be a blessing feel free to reach out to us uh, to the email address at the end of this episode and ask us questions and we will see what we can do that would be great just to discuss you know these these questions that would be super absolutely all right brother love you yeah love you grant good talking thank you for tuning in today and listening to answers for the nations if you'd like to send us a question or if you'd like to comment on anything you've heard us discuss today you can find my email address on our website at arrowheadnbc.com forward slash contact we look forward to hearing from you